Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostrosser, the host. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button. You'll be the first to get the podcast when they are released. Also, head over to disrupteducation.co. It's a great place to read my blog, see where I'm going to be, connect with me. That's disrupteducation.co. We are part of the Ed Up Experience Podcast Network, the cutting edge of all education chat. There's so many great podcasts there. If you go to edupexperience.com, you can check us out there, among other amazing podcasts. On this podcast, I have a wonderful guest from Down Under. She's from Australia. Her name is Nikki Farrell, and she is the co-founder of the Wildlings Forest School. We're going to talk about getting outside and all the different things that they are doing to get our students and even educators in touch with nature and learn more. That's all coming up right after this. Are you an individual or business wanting to create an online course or training program, but are overwhelmed with the e-learning process and don't even know where to start? If so, you don't want to miss this free masterclass called Create and Launch a Successful E-Learning Program Online Course or Virtual Training, where you will learn the biggest mistake most people make with e-learning, the number one reason most e-learning programs fail, and the three pillars to create extraordinary value for your learners every time and much more. Get instant access to the free masterclass right now by clicking on the link in the description. All you have to do is sign in and you will get instant access to this free masterclass right now. I recently asked Jake, who is a sophomore in high school, why he uses SpikeView to share his learning journey. Um, I think it's really cool that, you know, SpikeView is really putting that abstract into con- concrete data and knowledge and then displaying that to the outside world. And I think SpikeView is different than anything else out there. Uh, like I said before, because it's really taking that, you know, the, that those abstract skill sets and those abstract experiences and putting them into data that, you know, is actually mathematic and scientific and, um, you know, that matches you up with the best programs and, um, you know, best places for you. People, um, you know, who are really trying to make those changes in the world and they're going to be using SpikeView because SpikeView is that app where you can, you know, take take those experiences and take those passions and put them out there um, and share with other people. And that's, you know, that's really powerful. And to that, you know, that professional networking piece, um, you know, to be with other like-minded teenagers, that puts you ahead. That puts you ahead in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, I think anyone who uses SpikeView right now has a leg up in the future. And excited to see you know where those SpikeView alumni head up. Head to spikeview.com. Start your portfolio now for free. The Disrupt Education vlog can be found on YouTube. To hear it in podcast form, search Disrupt Education on any of the following podcast platforms. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or Stitcher.
Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostrosser, the host. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hit that subscribe button. We're all about education reform, what's disrupting and changing education for the better. Today, I have a wonderful guest. She is the Wildlings Forest School co-founder in Australia. Uh, She's going to talk a little bit about that. Nikki Farrell is with us today. Nikki, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm from right across the world today. Yes, yeah, we're we're splitting the globe today. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you are doing these days. So I am uh, living in Sunshine Coast, um, Queensland, Australia, and I'm the co-founder of Wildlings Forest School, but I'm also a homeschooling or unschooling mother and puppy parent. <laughs> but I am trying to disrupt education here in our tiny little micro community by running a forest school, which is self-directed and child-led. Nothing like self-directed, right? I think that's where we're going to go into that. But uh, before we get into the school and how it's really different and changing things and, you know, the troubles and triumphs that you've had, uh, let's talk a little bit about your educational path, right? So, um, you know, we have have listeners throughout the world. Um, Many of them are in the States. Um, So can we walk through your educational path where, where you grew up, where you learned, and, you know, what were some of the kind of great moments that maybe pivoted you into thinking, you know what, this forest school is something that is needed and and here's why. I was really fortunate to grow up on a sheep and wheat farm in the middle of nowhere in Australia. And I'm talking eight hours from the nearest capital city. My school had 60 children from prep to year 12, so the entirety of the school. Um, I was taught by my netball coaches and family friends. So it was a very much a tight knit, tiny village community. It was very free range. So when we weren't at school, we were at home and we could drive cars and, you know, climb trees and shoot guns and all those kind of things growing up. But I think that's where the basis of forest schooling came from me was that ability to move how I needed to move and use my outdoor voice whenever I needed to and, be in tune with the seasons. So obviously I didn't know that then, but it wasn't until I went further in my education and realised, oh, you know, I, I learned more by, you know, we we killed our own sheep for food. So I learned more from culling a sheep and quartering and butchering it there than I did in any biology lesson I ever went to. So it wasn't that I didn't learn a lot from biology, but when you've literally got a set of lungs in your in your hands and your father is showing you how a set of lungs works, then that's really memorable. I can still remember those lessons that weren't really lessons. So I guess that's the basis of um, my real in-depth curiosity. And I'm very much a kinesthetic learner as well. And that's probably due to my upbringing. Everything was hands-on and movement-based. I was an academic student. I really succeeded in school. I was a great, you know, an A student, an A-grade student. I enjoyed school. Um, which is funny how now I look back and I've chosen to homeschool and unschool. So finish finish school. Um, I didn't know many people that had gone to university where I grew up. So we had a handful of teachers and professionals, nurses, doctors, friendships and whatnot. But I didn't know that I was going to be good enough, despite being an A-grade student, to get into college, which here in Australia, if you're an A-grade student, essentially you're going to get into most courses that you need. Long story short, ended up at what we call TAFE, which is, um, how do we, I don't know how to really compare that in the States, but it's, um, you know, plumbing, hairdressing apprenticeships, and I did outdoor recreation there. And really that was a gap year for me. It was a a reason to go and 
do some education, but I knew that this course was going to be doing a lot of fantastic trips and I was going to learn a lot of um, really great skills. So I had a two year holiday really with a little bit of theory in there, <laughs> which my parents paid for, which I thought was fantastic. But again, I loved that. I loved that kind of learning where we were outdoors and we were hiking for seven days and a thunderstorm would come through and someone would get have a minor injury and we had to deal with that on the spot. And that was, again, really memorable and really great for leadership skills, I found, and really stepping up and taking on responsibility. You know, if you look at the Montessori theory of education, for me, it was almost like that passage of leaving and um, breaking away and turning into an adult. Those two years and all those trips really made me, really made me step up in, in an age where I could have quite easily not, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Uh, and then I went overseas. I actually lived in Colorado and Breckenridge for a couple of years and did the snowboard ski thing and was broke and had to, again, work my way and, and work out how to live without my parents. Came back and worked in recruitment, thought I'd enjoy working, helping people get jobs, but that's not how it works here at all. <laughs> people that really wanted jobs didn't get them. And then I ended up at university teaching. So originally when I'd finished school, I was like, oh, maybe I want to be a teacher, but I don't think I want to go straight from kindergarten, straight to school, straight to university teaching. Particularly, I wanted to be a high school teacher. So six years later, probably eight years later, I went back to university. And I think that's what the, that gap really helped me see. Uh, and working in other jobs really helped me see that we really take a lot of responsibility away from our teenagers. You know, we graduate here around 17, 18 years old, which I think is pretty similar, but you know, people are still, our teenagers with beards who are six foot four still have to ask me for permission to go to the bathroom quite often. So, you know, it wasn't the case in my classroom. It was an open, if you need to go, just give me the heads up that you're out of the classroom. But, you know, it's a bodily function. You, you go and you deal with that. But you know, we were expecting these people to vote in the next year, to drive cars and make decisions about drinking and drugs and alcohol and relationships, but we weren't letting them be autonomous in the classroom. I think I gave you the example when we spoke about, uh, so I ended up being an, a, a PE, so physical education and uh, English teacher, which is probably a strange combo, but it, it really tied up my I love of reading and then my love of being outdoors. But I'd have these big, burly boys in my class, these teenagers that wanted to be motorbike mechanics and they loved it they that's what they lived for and I was having to teach them Shakespeare when I knew that I could teach them the same transferable English skills the grammar the, the spelling whatever we needed to teach them I could do with a motorbike assignment but I had to I was restricted as their teacher so despite my best intentions I started feeling really frustrated about the system not being able to individualize like here, it's, I don't know about in the States, but here we, we get slammed as teachers about we need to differentiate. We need to differentiate for each yeah. child. And then we try and they say, oh, well, no, we have to be able to moderate. So everybody has to do the exact same assignment. <laughs> so I found that really incredibly frustrating because I knew that I could get that engagement and I could build that relationship with those teenagers if, if I could show them a bit, just a tiny bit of give and take. But quite often there was no give and take. So. That's, and then I left. Yeah, right. And then, well, let's. Get, that's funny. Um, just kind of a side note today. I just spoke with a, a young man in, in one of my classes, and in you know we were doing the design thinking piece, and you know I'm in the system here in the states, and and 
I was like, tell me something that frustrates you. And, and of course, you know, the kid was like, math. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so we unpacked that. And I think one of the interesting things was just like you said, just like these two guys who wanted to, you know, work on cars and whatnot. He was just like, I, I love cars. And, and I was like, so if there is a trigonometry that is attached to automobiles, would you be more interested? He's like, yeah, I would be 100%. So, yeah, th that's so interesting, the tangible piece of this. Um, so now you've moved over to uh, Wildlings um, and uh, the, the Wildlings uh, Forest School. Tell us a little bit about that and how, how you actually pull students outside into nature. And I just wish they had a school like this when I was a kid. But uh, <laughs> uh, and I have to get over after this entire pandemic to, to see this. But, um, uh, but yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, the beginnings and where you are now mm. in, in Wildlings Forest School. So uh, to backtrack a little, I, get, I w was teaching and I had really no big issues with teaching until I had children. So the hypocrite in me came out as soon as I had children. I started looking for daycare centres and I just couldn't find one that had, my boys are, I'm going to say, you know, neurotypical, they're active boys, but I wouldn't say they were overly rambunctious, but they needed to move. And the local daycare centres around my area were, while they had all, all the resources, there just wasn't space for them to run and be free and use their outdoor voices. So I kept looking and kept looking and couldn't find anything. So we decided to change our whole lifestyle up and I'd go back part-time and my husband would um, have the kids part days and some days and I would have them the others. And eventually I met a friend. We ended up starting a home kindy because we couldn't find what we wanted, which was essentially just meeting regularly to play and play outdoors. And then we were like, you know what? we'll just start something we'll just start something and we'll just start it for a couple of friends that are interested in. and it's that old saying build it and they'll come and that's exactly what happened friends of friends came and then friends of friends of friends came and so we we moved from my house and then we moved to the pcyc which is essentially like a ymca here um and thankfully they're really on board because where we started the church owns technically owns the land but we needed car parking and toileting so we literally split between two places and we hire both sets of land essentially. And we were wondering how we'd go talking to the pastor and the police officer about these three-year-olds starting fires and using <laughs> pocket knives. And we didn't think we'd get far, but we were just really fortunate that, you know, the police of the sergeant there was is outdoorsy and so was the pastor. And they were just both really on board. So we started there and we started just one morning a week and then we had friends of friends say, well, playgroup's great and kindy's great, but I've got school-aged children that, you know, would, could really do with a mental health day once a week or, you know, they'd like to come during the holidays. So we started holiday programs. We've now got a homeschool program. We run uh, professional development for educators, which is what I find most purposeful because we can only reach so many children at a time, you know, but when we reach teachers and the teachers take it back to their school and they're teaching other teachers, then that's how we know that this message will spread. But essentially we go down into the forest every morning, uh, not every morning. So we only run a couple of days a week here on the Sunshine Coast, but we also now run in Brisbane, our capital city here. And that's, it is taking off there. It's, you know, it's a bit more urban, it's a bit more densely populated. There's less access to parks and fields. And, and people are trying to meet like-minded families that, uh, okay with risky play and they're okay with children doing things that might make some adults gasp in in today's society 
but I'm going to argue there that we did as children, you know. Right. I mean, yeah. You think, yeah, you think about the things that, yeah, I think about, you know, yeah, I don't want to get into it because it's illegal, but like, yeah, we had no, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, you, you do take those risks and there's uh, smaller rewards and, and things like that. So how long, how long has the school been up and running for? So we've been running for four years now and because of the PD that we've been doing and others, it's not just us, don't get me wrong, we're starting to see this really change, um, particularly in our micro community, the the government approved kindies. So they're coming to us and they're now running uh, bush kindies or forest kindies within those daycare centres and those community kindies, which is great because then what's happening, we're getting these really passionate parents say, well, little Johnny or little Peter has been whittling and starting fires since he's been three years old. And now we get to school and he can't even hold a stick. You know, what's, why aren't we letting these children, um, you know, why aren't we teaching children to be safe with these things rather than just saying no, because at some point they're going to find a stick, they're going to find a lighter, they're going to find a pocket knife and they're not going to know what to do with it. So it's really great because nothing changes in education really without parent power. So if we can start it now, the, educating these little people but really we're educating the parents about what can be and what is safe and what children need then they're the ones pushing it in the school system the one thing that um you know we've been pushing here in the states is is the legislation right i think it's mm. it's wonderful that you know the government came to you it was that parental pressure kind of saying like yo this is something that's really cool or how do you feel like that's that came about because I think I know a lot of us over here in the states were like there are so many great programs yet the laws are not there yet uh, to make. Yeah, um, yeah. How, do, how do you think thing. that played out? Was it? It wasn't pure, well, was it? Well, no. So, so it started about ten years ago. Bush Kindy down in Melbourne, and that came from Scandinavia, which came from the, and then went to the UK, and then we had UK providers come here. But somewhere along the line, obviously, the government's caught caught whiff of this that. Outdoor learning is becoming a bit of a thing. Um, we've got the most incredible spaces here and our schools are incredibly resourced for outdoor learning, but our teachers aren't. They haven't been trained. A lot of them don't feel safe taking 25, 28 children out, particularly if there's going to be fire or knives. They just haven't had the training. So there was a bit of funding. We had a, um, a, a not-for-profit called Nature Play Queensland pop up and they've done an incredible amount of training. So that's really led the way, um, and but that was government funded. So I actually don't know who was in there and who was the champion in there pushing that, but I'd love to thank them and take them out for a coffee. <laughs> yeah, bring them, bring them to still, the States too. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy them coffee yeah, over. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't fully changed legislation yet. So the risk assessments and the paperwork is still horrendous, but it can be done. So, you know, we, we still run camps, you know, all schools run camps and excursions and, we have bunts and burners in science labs and we use sharp objects in other, in you know, in, um, I don't know what we call it there, but man arts and technology and things like that. So we've got risk assessments for those things. They've just never directly been applied to outdoor learning. So if you can pull them apart and work with your uh, education department, then generally it's there. It's just not been given the name of outdoor learning. So that's what we found here anyway. And we just need those champions to start pushing it. Is there, is there plans, um, I know you're with younger uh, students, but is there plans like throughout the entire, you know, gamut of, of students? Because mm -hmm. I'm a secondary educator and I know, you know, you yeah. were as well. What, what does that look like? Is, I mean, yeah. maybe not right now, but um, it, can, it, can, it, 
Can a program like this um, be pulled into, you know, a different age range, I should ask? Yeah, look, that's what that looks like is my dream because but I would often take my students out for English just to read outside and the difference in their comprehension and understanding yeah. just with that because, again, just being taken outdoors in the spring or autumn and the fall sunshine makes that lesson memorable, which is really sad that just taking the children out and the students outdoors makes a difference. But it is absolutely transferable to older children. We've um, had quite a few disengaged student groups come through and it gives the, particularly those students that perhaps aren't engaged or find academic schooling really difficult, it gives them the chance to succeed and it gives them those that feeling of confidence that, you know, they're not hopeless, they're not dumb, they're not, you know, they're actually, they're good at something and to be recognised by their peers that they're good at something I think that's really wonderful. But take a biology lesson. You know, where else would you do it but outdoors? You know, science, flora, fauna, it's all there, seasons, <laughs> weather. <laughs> it's It drives me crazy that, um, you know, uh, Vicky, my business partner, is a, a science and marine biologist uh, and, and teacher, and she just, she said, I used to open up the textbook and look outside and just go, why? What are we doing? And, you know, I know you, you understand it's there, but how do we make it so that, that is normal, but it's also not an extra stress on teachers because teachers are stressed enough. They're over overburdened. The curriculum's too full. There's not enough time in the calendar. So how do we make it easy for teachers? Right. I mean, again, like I'm a I'm a tangible learner. I love to like you know hands on things and mm. and I remember those as well. Like you know, rather than just you know going through checking the box off. Like if I'm if I have. <laughs> a forest in my hands, you know, I'm looking and I can see the things in biology, I can connect that. Um, mm. And most of you know, summer camps and different things like that are the things that I remember. So, yeah. um, so from here on out, um, working with schools and, and helping broaden this out, um, unpack that a little bit. Do you have like programs where you're teaching? How are you teaching teachers? What is that? Is that like a PD? How does that look? Mm. Um, and and then where can people, you know, connect with you worldwide? Because I think this is a yeah. great program. Uh, it's, I'm very biased, but I, I actually find that teaching, teaching this way, you get to build better relationships. And so your work as a teacher is so much easier. And we just don't have behavior issues outside like we do indoors. And I can't emphasize that enough. It's, you know, they can use their outdoor voices Children that have sensory issues, you know, sensory overload with bright lights or closed-in walls, they don't get that outside. And there's space. So when they need to retreat, they can just move over to a quiet sit spot and find that space. But a lot of it definitely has a lot to do with the self-direction of, of the classes. But, yeah, to get in and in with the schools, we definitely, it's mainly professional development and workshops. So we run them for schools and daycare centres in kindy. We do an introduction to outdoor learning or bush kindy. We do introduction to fire and bush cooking. We do hand tools, which includes whittling. And I don't know, you know, you work with teenage boys, but I have never, ever heard the silence like I have in a whittling circle of 20, 30 boys. It's incredible. It, it is a sight to be seen. And the, the tongues are out, you know, in focus. <laughs> and it's just this beautiful, you know, there's something very ancient and primal about sitting in circle. And the conversations that the teenagers are having in those circles and the relationships and the bonds that are being built in those circles. And again, you can't put a price on that and it doesn't fit into our tidy little curriculum boxes. But gosh, it helps make that classroom environment so much easier. 
So, you, you know, it doesn't have to be an outdoor learning school five days a week. We've got many schools that either dip in one lesson a week, two lessons a week, two hours a week. Some do it um, fortnightly. We do try and encourage that it's a minimum of two hours a week. So a lot of people will do it on the, you know, the end of the week, Friday afternoon when not much gets learned. <laughs> They'll take it outside, but they'll still make it relevant to whatever they're learning at the time. So whether it's measurement or geometry or, you know, hypotheses, it's all there. It's just a matter of letting them outdoors and letting them get all the benefits of nature. You know, we're animals, so we need sunlight and fresh air and water and, and care. That's what we need to thrive. So yeah. it's all there. It yeah. is, right? And it's free outside. It's I don't, free. I don't, <laughs> I don't have to power that up. I, I don't know. It's a, no. Um, and if you're on school grounds, you're covered by insurance. So, and you, and if you're on excursion, you can still be covered by your insurance. So, you know, Australia, I think we're the second most litigious society after you guys. So if we can do it, we're pretty litigious, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's there and, and there's, there's ways to do it and your insurers will cover it. Particularly if you're, if you're doing it with a school is actually easier than it is for me as an, as a private business to do it without doing it under a school, because you know, particularly government schools are pretty hard to touch. <laughs> They're covered. So, yeah. 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 But you can find us on Instagram or Facebook, but we're wildlings with an L, forestschool.com. Um, but we'd love to help run PD. We do consults via Zoom just like we're doing now. And, and we've got a, a lot of interest from the States and probably running one a week at the moment from the States. So fingers crossed, it's coming your way. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll put all your uh, information up um, down in the notes and everything so people can connect with you. Um, I love it. What what were those four things that you listed? I just wanted to end on that. You, you had these. Yeah, so we have outdoor learning, yeah. fire and bush cooking, hand tools, which includes pen knives, and we do a cubbies, knots, and shelters as well. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Mm -hmm. I can't wait uh, to, to learn more about what's happening at Wildlings. And, and definitely, uh, if you're in the States listening, you want to check out uh, Nikki in, in the school. Um, I can attest as an educator, and yes, being outside in sports as a golf coach with boys mm -hmm. There's something different. They just something there different. is there's a connection there, and uh, it's truly, truly amazing. Well, you're doing truly amazing things, disrupting education inside the school, bringing it outside, bringing reality, the humanistic, the nature approach. Um, and Nikki, thank you so much for hanging out with us on Disrupt Education today. My pleasure. Have a great evening. All right. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate you. Leave a comment. Thumbs ups always help. And we'll see you next time on Disrupt Education.